right. I know it's Tuesday today. Last week, I my days were all messed up. Now, the only problem with Tuesdays, when they're like Mondays, is they're like Monday squared. Yeah, think about it, man. You had a day off yesterday, right? Did your job go away? No. Your job didn't go away. So all the work that you were supposed to do yesterday just sat there collecting dust, cooling its heels while you were out barbecuing, enjoying the last hurrah of the summer, right? Yeah. And then you get to work on Tuesday, and it's like Monday squared. See? That's what... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I I hope it wasn't like that for a lot of you. <laughs> yeah, I it, you know, my days are busy no matter what. So, <clears throat> anyway, welcome to Fighting for the Faith. I'm Chris Rosebro. Again, I'm your servant here dishing up uh basic Christian discernment. We're taking every thought and making it captive and obedient to Christ. In other words, there's some radical thoughts running around out there and and uh, they don't do so well in Christianity in the church. And they, they need to be rounded up and herded like a bunch of wild cats, you know, and uh, and promptly disposed of as the viruses that they are. Well, that's a negative way of putting it. <laughs> okay. Chris has had a long weekend. We're, we got a lot of work to do this week, though. Man, four days. We got we to gotta crank this stuff out. All right, we're going to start by opening up some email today, and uh, I, I got an email that I wanted to comment on, and I didn't get a chance to uh, put it into the mix, but you remember Patricia King and her mortuary ministry, and uh, the, the Reverend Jonathan C. Watt from uh, St. John's Lutheran Church in Howard, South Dakota writes in, the only real problem with the mortuary ministry is that it's definitely inside the box. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, how sad. That's my kind of humor. Way to go, Pastor Watt. That's exact. <laughs> Woohoo! I love telling those kind of jokes. And uh, here we, I've got uh, an email from Amy. I'm not sure where Amy is from, but Amy writes in, uh, regarding one of the shows we did last week. I fell out of my chair when I heard you uh, say that you would rather have your children listen to secular music than Christian music that is doctrinally wrong. All I could say was, yes. <laughs> so you have to do it like Napoleon. Yes. I am not alone. I have turned off Christian radio, stopped supporting them, and gone back to listening to secular radio while in my car. How can I support a station that is positive and, and uh, positive and uplifting but never mentions the name of Jesus? My blood pressure goes up when I'm listening to Christian radio because I tend to yell at the radio saying things like, Scripture twisting! Jesus is not my boyfriend! Jesus isn't your boyfriend? <laughs> I agree, Amy. I, I, it's really embarrassing for me when I, when I hear those kind of songs myself. I mean, Jesus is my boyfriend songs, uh, especially since I'm a guy. I mean, that really kind of challenges me on so many different levels. I can't even talk about it. <laughs> anyway, she writes, um, okay. So Jesus is not my boyfriend, and then I have to explain to my children why the song's wrong, why it's wrong for me to yell at the radio. Yeah, I understand that. That's really embarrassing. You're sitting here yelling at the radio because something wrong has happened in the radio. But, um, but you know, <clears throat> so anyway, she continues to write. Um, let's see. I have to yell at the radio. I don't have road rage. I have Christian radio rage. Christian radio rage. That's a new form of rage. And you know, what I find, Amy, is is that the best thing for Christian radio rage is just not to listen to the Christian radio. Um, so if I don't have my Sovereign Grace CDs with me, I'm enjoying the oldies but the goodies. So keep up the good work. And P.S. I no longer shop at the local Christian bookstores either. When Rick Warren, Joel Osteen, and the Emergent books leave the shelves, I'll go back. But we know they won't be stopped. They won't stop selling them. So my money is too important. Sigh. I agree, Amy. The state of Christian publishing and Christian radio is leaves a lot to be desired, which is why we have pirate Christian radio. Because, uh, you know, here's a thought. Have you ever heard of uh, a radio station that actually preaches Christ and Him crucified, actually handles Christian doctrine and theology seriously? Can't do that anymore. I know, because it's so mean. That's right. Uh, talking about mean, um, I've got a listener complaint. Now, I get a lot of these, but I have to select 
select which ones I'm going to actually deal with. And uh, Thomas writes me, <clears throat> he says, Chris, remember last week we did a show um, where we talked, where we had Gloria Copeland, you know, it, instructing us to take our hands and put them on the part of our bodies that weren't working. And, uh, <clears throat> well, there's a part of my body that is definitely defective, you know. And it's not that I'm overweight. My problem is, is that I'm just not tall enough. And, see, I'm fly, like five foot nine, five foot ten, depending on what time of the day you measure, do the measurement nowadays. And uh, and so my problem is, is is not that I'm overweight. It's just that I need to be about six foot seven for how much I weigh. See, if I was six foot seven, I would be the perfect weight. But anyway, so Gloria Copeland instructed us to put our hands on the place where, you know, things were not working because, of course, everyone knows Isaiah 53, that by his stripes we are healed, means that we, that when Christ died on the cross, that means that everything that's wrong with us has to be fixed because Christ died for that. Uh, forget the fact that our hope is in the resurrection. Perfect bodies come when Jesus returns in glory, by the way, not prior to um, you notice that the none of the apostles are still living, are they? You know, they just they just didn't have enough faith. <clears throat> anyway, see that's the thing. You, you see, when I talk about things like this, so Gloria told us to put our hands on the things, and she prayed for us, and I was still overweight. So the, I, we didn't. I did not experience a weight loss miracle. And, you know, <laughs> and so yeah. <clears throat> Thomas uh, writes that uh, that uh, that that's mocking. You see, I, I was being mocking. He says, please, please don't be so mocking when you're dealing with this topic. Maybe the most, maybe most of your listeners agree with you and they laugh. I cannot. Please let me take a few moments of your time to try to explain. I belong to a charismatic church, and some of the things taught there line up with what the Copelands teach. Well, Tom, if that's the case, you need to leave. Uh, it's time for you to find a different church. I hate to break it to you, buddy, but... Um, if you're going to a church where some of the doctrines line up with what the Copelands are teaching, um, then you're being fed garbage and being told it's Christian doctrine. And uh, that's the type of stuff that sends people to hell. Anyway, he says, um, I myself am looking at these and holding them up to the word of God. I've actually been in the, Co in, in the Copeland meetings, and I'm quite familiar with what they teach. However wrong they may be, they do claim to be members of the body of Christ. Well, so do Mormons. You know, um, also, I may have uh, believed I may also many have believed in their teachings and being snarky and mocking will not help them see any truth. Well, well um, let's see here. <clears throat> Tom, let me do a quick apologetic with you. Um, being snarky and mocking will not help them see any truth. All right. We're going to test this claim. Being snarky and mocking will not help people see the truth. Right. All right, um, are you familiar with the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel? No? Let, let me read this to you. If, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel uh, fell into idolatry uh, shortly after the death of Solomon. Uh, Israel was ripped into two pieces, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And uh, it wasn't too long before they were completely engrossed in all kinds of crazy stuff. And um, one particularly bad couple was Ahab and Jezebel. Um, yeah, Jezebel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that... Ah, what a fine woman she was. <clears throat> anyway, um, so uh, what happened is, is that if you're familiar with Elijah, Elijah was one of the prophets that was sent to Israel. And, uh, and Elijah was given the ability to basically make it so that it didn't rain. And what a lot of people miss in this story, by the way, this little side note... Is that the uh, that Baal Baal? If you want to pronounce it properly, Baal was supposedly the lord of the sky, and so uh, the, the northern kingdom, one of the one of the false gods that they worshipped, was Baal. And so, in order for Yahweh, the true God, to prove his supremacy over Baal, he gave the prophet Elijah the ability to keep it from raining. Well, that was all about showing how weak and and completely impotent. Baal was, but uh, completely different story. So here we are, First Kings chapter eighteen, verse seventeen. There's a showdown between the prophets of Baal and uh, and Elijah, you know, the solo prophet of uh, of the one true God. And uh, and when they meet up, when Ahab and Elijah meet up on Mount Carmel, 
Ahab says to Elijah, he says, is, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. Asherah is like a fertility god who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord, that's Yahweh, is God, then follow him. But Baal, if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450. So let two bowls be given to us and let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire on it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire on it. And you call upon the name of your God and I'll call upon the name of... Yahweh, the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. They thought, well, that's a good idea. It's kind of a showdown between gods, right? So then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose your, choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it first, for you are many, and then call upon the name of your God, but put no fire on it. And they took the bull that was given to them. They prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. And there was no voice. And no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, <clears throat> uh, Tom, this is the part you want to pay attention to. This is First uh, Kings chapter 18, verse 27. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for... He is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself. Did you see that? Elijah is mocking the prophets of Baal, saying, cry aloud, because certainly he's a God. So either he is he musing or is he <clears throat> using the restroom, <clears throat> relieving himself? Maybe he can't hear you or he's on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. So cry louder. Uh, yeah, you know, what's the deal here? I thought that uh, I thought that they can't learn the truth from mocking, right? So, uh, you know, why why do we have this godly example for us of mocking? Or you know, there's another great example of mocking in the Old Testament, by the way. Um, Y'all familiar with the uh, the god, the so-called god Molech, Molech. Now, Moloch was a terrible deity, by the way, that these people worshipped. They would take basically they would take a statue of Moloch, and he had his arms stretched out like this, and they would they would really heat up his his arms until they were glowing red, and then they would sacrifice their children in the arms of Moloch. But did you know that Moloch is really not the name of that particular deity? It's true. Actually, the real name for Moloch is Melech. Melech in Hebrew is the Hebrew word for king, but not once will you see that God being referred to as Melech by any of the writers of the Old Testament. Instead, every time they refer to him, they always refer to him as Molech. They changed one of the vowels. Well, Molech means shame, and Melech means king. So the followers of Melech... They would say, we worship Melech, and the, an Israelite, a true Israelite who trusted in God, would say, oh, you worship Molech. What do you mean I worship Molech? You're, you're mocking me. You're right, I'm mocking you. That God is not real. That God is shameful. So, <clears throat> if that isn't enough, let's see here. Jesus himself writing or speaking about uh, the... Well, that, that's a good point. What would Jesus do? You know, John, thank you. You get two points. Your demerits are, are forgiven now. They're absolved. And uh, you get two points on that one. Um, Je this is a what would Jesus do moment. Here we go. Jesus talking to the scribes and Pharisees says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. This is Matthew twenty three twenty three. 
For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee! First clean out the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous but to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you going to escape being sentenced to hell? That's Jesus speaking. <clears throat> but, you know, Tom, here, here's the thing, Thomas. If you would like me to not be mocking, you know, then I'll just come right out and say this. I don't think Gloria Copeland is my sister in Christ. I think she's a wolf. I think she's a false prophet who preaches false doctrine, who is sending people to hell. And if she doesn't repent of her false doctrine, she's going to hell herself. How's that? That's not mocking. That's just straight to the point. So here's the deal. I disagree with you, Tom. I do not respect false doctrine, and I will mock it, just like the prophets mocked and just like Jesus mocked. I do not respect false gods. I will mock them because they are a stench in the nostrils of the one true God. So that's the way I look at it. And if you don't like the mocking, you don't have to like the mocking. No one's forcing you to listen to this radio program. But I will not show respect for that false doctrine. And I will point these people out for the wolves that they are. For the sake of the body of Christ. Because, yeah, you know what? By, not, by mocking these people's doctrine, by mocking what they're preaching and teaching and showing it to be the foolishness that it is, there are some who will say, you know what? Chris is right. The scripture doesn't support this. And the fact that he doesn't take it seriously, doesn't let it bother him, doesn't get all defensive about it, instead laughs at it, just shows me how silly and foolish it is. Yeah, and the funny thing is, Tom, I've actually received emails to that effect. So, <clears throat> yeah, I will continue to mock. And I hold up Jesus and the prophets and those in the Old Testament who refused to call Melech by his name, but mocked him by calling him Molech. I call them as my examples, my biblical examples of how to handle these people. But let's read Peter's warning. The Apostle Peter, who walked with Jesus, who was crucified upside down for being a Christian by Nero himself. It took him a few days to die, by the way. That was real fun. Peter warns us in 2 Peter chapter 2, he says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth is will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. That's the attitude we should have towards these people. We should not put up with false doctrine. We should not put up with this nonsense. These people who are obviously preaching in order to make a buck. And they're preaching false doctrine and sending people to hell. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. God will take care of them just wanted to pass that along. All right, now, <clears throat> for the rest of the show, because I'm going to hit my hard breaks today. <laughs> yes, I'm a radio guy in training. We're going to do a sermon review. And the reason why we're going to do this sermon review has more to do with uh, really taking some time to answer the question, 
where do we go in Scripture to learn how to pray? And how should we be praying? Today we're going to be doing a sermon review uh, of a sermon preached by Pastor Gary Lamb of the Revolution Church in Canton, Georgia. Um, had an opportunity to meet Gary Lamb, by the way, um, at the Evolve Conference. And I'll tell you later as the sermon unfolds where he got the idea for the sermon, because I know exactly where he ripped this off from, um, or who he ripped it off from. But uh, you need to hear this, because this is another perfect example of really what's passing is preaching nowadays. And even though the topic is a good topic, it's a good Christian topic, we should, you know, pastors should be preaching and teaching about prayer, right? Because it's one of the, it is one of the primary themes of scripture. Um, uh, the answer they come up with kind of fits back into this whole purpose driven mentality that, um, that somehow our purpose in life is to be a, a mover and a shaker and to change the world. And uh, and so uh, this is this is kind of filling in, fitting into the theme that we heard er, from an earlier sermon from Stephen Furtick about being audacious. And so without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and start this sermon. This is uh, Pastor Gary Lamb. And the name of the um, the sermon series is called Uncomfortable. And uh, and uh, as we proceed, you'll see why certain things about this sermon make me uncomfortable but uh, I digress. Let's jump into this, so that we can uh, get far down the road before we hit our before we uh, hit our break. So, without any further ado, here's Pastor Gary Lamb of the Revolution Church in Canton, Georgia, teaching about being uncomfortable or, or, or the uh, praying audacious prayers. All right, here we go. Good morning. morning. Doing good. Sound good? Everybody survived the storms? Everybody have power? We had power. Our power came back on at 4.45 this morning. I am too fat to lay in a hot house like that. My kids were freaking out. My son got up, thought he wet the bed. I said, son, unless you wet the bed out of your head, you did not wet the bed. I said, you're just sweating. So I woke up, the kids are in the bed, the dog is in the bed, and I am miserable and grumpy. And knowing i got to come teach you guys today. And I thought, how am I going to do this? So I've taken a lot of energy drinks, and I'm feeling good. And you look good, and I'm glad to be here today. The Breakfast Club, I love you guys. Man, you guys are consistent. I told the second service, I said, it's amazing. Second service can be triple in size and nowhere near as loud. The second service is the dignified people. I, I, they're the people that just want to come to church. and say, this is the people that love God. You want to get up early to come to church? You love God, you know. I tell you what, and then, of course, I tell them the same thing. I tell them they're better than you, and they hoop and holler in that service, too. Hey, we're in the last week of a series that we've been calling Uncomfortable. And I've got to tell you, this has probably been one of my favorite series that we've ever done. And it's kind of went a different direction than we planned on. It, honestly, it, it's kind of nothing like we planned it to be. The kind of general consensus around this series was, man, we're going into the month of July Attendance kind of dips in July. Everybody's hitting the beach and hitting the mountains and going out of town. And that would be a great time just to share with our church some of the things in the Bible, some of the basic doctrines in the Bible, that while they make us uncomfortable and while we don't necessarily understand them, they actually help make us a better person. They're actually there for a reason. But every week as we begin to sit down and think about the subjects we want to cover, God began to bring different core values of revolution to my mind. And what it's really turned into is a vision series. And what it's kind of core values of revolution. And this has turned into a vision series. By the way, there's something you need to understand about the purpose driven approach to doing church. It's a really weird blending of uh, basic business principles and understanding of how to manage companies. And one of the things that companies use is vision statements, mission and vision statements. And what's really interesting about purpose-driven churches is, is that um, there is this underlying current in them that the vision statement is God giving a specific vision for a church to a pastor and that his job is to rally people behind that vision. And what's really interesting is is that those visions cannot be challenged because they're from God. And so what are the, one of the things these guys do is anybody who contradicts uh, the, quote, vision that God has given the pastor for what the church is supposed to do, those people are quietly escorted to the door and, uh, and walked out. 
and uh, because they're 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 in a real sense opposing uh, God. So there's a there's a charismatic concept that's that's deeply woven into the fabric of a purpose driven church, and that is is that you're constantly casting vision, and the vision is supposed to be from God, and God's the one giving the vision to the pastor. And so, and you, but you have to think of it, it's the same kind of vision statement for a corporation that a corporation would get, mission and vision and values and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, and this is one of the things that Rick Warren has done, is he's taken the concept of uh, Peter Drucker, the business concept of Drucker, and literally Christianized these things or blended them with Christian thinking. And so when you have a pastor talking about a vision, he's talking about a vision that he's, that, you know, for the church that he received from God. Yeah, there. In in a sense, it's very prophetic speak that's going on here. So you need to know that that's one of the things that's going on behind the scenes here. And uh, and Gary Lamb is another one of these purpose driven type pastors, and know know all about him and what he's up to. So uh, let's continue. Kind of showed me it's, it's amazing how even as the lead pastor, as the person who started this church, two weeks from now, four years ago, we started the church, and God's done amazing things. It's amazing. How even though I'm the leader and, I, and I'm the pastor and I, and I kind of cast the vision for what goes on around here, it's amazing how uncomfortable even I am with some of the things that we do. And we've talked about those things over the last couple weeks. The first week we talked about the fact that, that God wants us to live a life on the edge and how God's not. Okay. Okay. Uh, pastor Gary Lamb, can you, can you give me a passage of scripture that supports this idea that God wants us to live a life on the edge? Where is that in Scripture? That I mean, he's basically claiming, and this is another one of these themes that's coming out of these seeker-sensitive churches, especially the ones Gary Lamb's church, Stephen Furtick's church, Perry Noble's church, uh, you know, and the guys who follow these, you know, those thought leaders in the in the seeker-sensitive, purpose-driven movement is this idea that God wants us to live a life on the edge. Where is that in Scripture? Is it is it sinful for me to? Want a job, raise a family, live in a in in the burbs, you know, coach little league. That doesn't sound like anything on the edge to me. That sounds about as vanilla as they get, according to the way these guys think. <clears throat> and, sorry, I'm I'm interrupting. We should continue. Not called us to live a safe life, and, and how that's uncomfortable. Yet it molds us into the person that God wants us to be. We talked about the vision of this church the second week, and and how we do church for those that don't do church. We kind of tell people we're like a, a steakhouse for vegetarians. I mean, for uh, you know, I shouldn't even comment. Moving along. For those that don't want anything to do with God, we started a church for those type of people. And, and then last week we talked about the fact that God wants us to bring our friends and has left us here on this earth to bring those around us to Jesus. And how, as a church, we're willing to do whatever it takes short of sinning to make sure that people in this community hear about God, hear that God loves them, hear that God has a plan for their life, that God has a mission for their life. And this week I want to close out the series talking about kind of another core value of our church. One of those things... So he's preaching about the core values of the church. <sighs> Shouldn't it be Christian doctrine instead of... I mean, core values are things that you can go to the smorgasbord, you know, regarding an organization and pick from. You know, for instance, I own a company, and the name of the company is Ventegrity. And it does healthcare vendor management. We have core values, all right. And this was all part of the foundation for the the business that I laid. And I yes, I have a mission and vision statement for Vintegrity. And there were many core values that we can pick from: customer service, uh, integrity, uh, you know, and you know things of that nature. So so prayer has become a core value instead of uh, core doctrine. That's an important distinction. But let's continue. He said, if we're ever going to achieve what God intends for us to achieve around here, we've got to understand. And I want to talk to you today about this understanding the awesomeness, for lack of a better word, of prayer. I, I want to talk to you today not about how to pray, not about what prayer is, but talk to you about the awesomeness of prayer. And, th and this has been an Dude, prayer is so awesome, man. It's the awesomeness of prayer. <sighs> Incredible series. We took a, a one-day staff retreat this week to go away. We're getting ready to launch our second campus in Holly Springs. We're still going to do services here. We'll have services going on at the same time. Then at our Holly Springs campus, we need space in our, in our second service. And, and I told our staff, I said, it's weird how we started this series. And I thought it was just going to be kind of one of those series that we just kind of coast through because it's the month of July. 
and I said, but God has spoken to me individually through this series, probably more than any series we've done. This was more a series for our leaders and our staff than it was just for our church. And- All right, we're going to stop right there. <clears throat> See, it was more for the leaders than the people of the church. I thought the, one of the jobs of the pastor is to be a shepherd for all of the flock. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm again, I'm using biblical standards here. Um, anyway, we'll be right back. We're going <clears> to <throat> we're going to take a small break and uh, and we'll be right back and continue with this sermon about prayer. And can't wait for you to get to the punchline because it's going to be just all kinds of fun. So, um, if you would like to uh, email me, sound off, let me know what you think about the show, things I've covered today, you do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Man, I'm feeling groovy here. (laughs) We'll be right back. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn Radio Program including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And, of course, be sure not to miss our selection of T-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> We're laid back. <laughs> doing a sermon review from Revolution Church in Georgia. <laughs> I think I should have chosen more carefully the bumper music for today. All right. All right. We're in the middle of a sermon review from uh, preached by Gary Lamb in Revolution Church in Canton, Georgia. And uh, he's talking about prayer. And so we're, without any further ado, we're going to get right back into this because uh, Important stuff we need to talk about along the way here. And let's see if he actually uh, is teaching us really anything about prayer. Um, I don't want to give the punchline, but the, he's he's all about these audacious prayers. And so we're going to have to <clears throat> continue. Here we go. The name of the sermon is Uncomfortable, and I think this has to do with sun stand still prayers. Sun stand still prayers. Gary Lamb, here we go. And I'd be lying if I didn't say what God's doing around here doesn't make me a little nervous. Because, see, what I believe God's telling us is I'm about to make Revolution Church very, very, very uncomfortable. God told him that. God told him that he's going to make Revolution Church uncomfortable. Apparently, God speaks directly, too. Yeah, he's a prophet. This is the prophet, Gary Lamb. The first week of the series, if you were here, we had a guy on stage getting a tattoo during the service. I told you we do something you've never seen in church before, and we talk. Yeah, there's a reason why we don't give tattoos in church. <sighs> talked about tattoos, and we talked about how tattoos, in the short term, are very uncomfortable. They're painful, but you have a lifetime of a story to tell from that few minutes of discomfort. And I believe, or you have a long laser surgery to get rid of it. <laughs> Believe that what God wants us to do here is to make him famous and to tell his story. And I believe we're going to get... Oh, that's a good thing. You know, he believes that God wants us to make, you know, to tell God's story and to make him famous. That's pretty good. Get through one of those periods where things are uncomfortable just for a little while. I mean, it, it's uncomfortable that when you're clicking on all cylinders, and yet you're going to take a lot of your leaders and send them to another campus. 
It's uncomfortable when you're about to add a third service here to make space and you're probably going to have to stagger that service to fit everybody in. It's uncomfortable when you're thinking about, okay, we're going to replenish the leaders here and as soon as we get those leaders replenished, we're going to launch a third campus in the Jasper area. Yeah, that 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 makes me so uncomfortable. Man, can you imagine launching another church? Whew, uncomfortable. How about this one, Pastor? Um, we preach Christ crucified for our sins, foolishness to Greeks, and the stumbling block to Jews. That would make people uncomfortable. How about that kind of uncomfort? But I believe God is going to take us through a, a short-term, uncomfortable period where we can accomplish what God put us on the earth to do. If you're a guest today, man, we're thrilled to have you. And today's going to be kind of one of those odd messages because we're going to be kind of talking to those that kind of call revolution home. You picked a great Sunday to be here. You get to hear what we're about. This is one of the- you notice that he's apologizing to the uh, unchurched who may have showed up today because he's not he's not preaching something practical for them. He's apologizing for that. <sighs> Backwards. One of those Sundays where I like to say, you'll either decide this is the church for you after one visit. Or you would decide you are never coming back to this crazy place again. And that's cool either way. We're glad that you get to come and enjoy what's going on. Yeah, choose the second one. Going on. And I got to be honest, what God's doing around here makes me a little nervous. I'm very comfortable with the way things are. I remember when we started the church, there was about 13 adults, about 22 of us counting kids. And in those days, it was not very comfortable. We were meeting in a house, and you know what God wants to do? And we started in the school, and God's grown, and there's about a 1,000 people that show up here every week. And i got to be honest, it's real, real comfortable. I know every week that when I show up, the music's going to be good. I know the kids are going to have a blast down in the kids' area. I know the seats are going to be comfortable. I know the teaching's going to be okay. It's probably never going to be great as long as I'm doing it. And I know that things are just real, real comfortable. I enjoy the people I get to hang out with. I enjoy the people that come through our doors. Okay, we are six minutes and 40 seconds into this sermon, and uh, I have yet to hear a Bible passage. Um, just wanted to point that out. Doing a lot of preaching about what he thinks God is telling him. Okay. He'll be preaching. He'll get to the Word in a minute. I just wanted to point that out. But I refuse to be one of these churches that allows comfort and our preferences and what we enjoy Stop us from fulfilling the vision that God's given us. Well, then get rid of the band and uh, start preaching hymns and uh, and preach Christ and Him crucified. Because you wouldn't want to let what you like, what you're comfortable with, get in the way, right? Sorry, I'm being mean. The average church in America is in decline, and I believe that the reason it's in decline is because we've got real comfortable. And so I want to close out this series today talking about what it's going to take for us as individuals to go to the next step in our individual lives, what it's going to take to go to the next step in our marriages and raising our children and our jobs, what it's going to take to go to the next step as a church. And I want to talk to you about that principle that I think many of us who are Christ followers simply do not understand, and that's the subject of prayer. If we were to be honest today, there's probably not another subject that perplexes us as much as the subject of prayer. And like I said, I... I, I Why would this be perplexing? I've preached on it backwards and forwards. I've taught you how to pray. I've taught you why we pray. And if you weren't here, go out and grab some of those CDs out in the lobby. They're free after you can go to iTunes and download the podcast for free and listen to those. But I want to talk to you today about helping you understand just how powerful and just how awesome and just how magnificent prayer is. I believe next to the gift of eternal life, prayer is probably the greatest gift that Jesus Christ has left us. The fact that we get to communicate one-on-one with the creator of the universe is an amazing, amazing concept. And the fact of the matter is that we have this awesome gift from God, prayer, and very few of us ever use it and take advantage of it. Very few of us ever truly understand prayer and how powerful it is. And God wants us to pray big prayers, believing that big things are going to happen. But so many. Okay, where does it say that in the Bible? That God expects us to pray big prayers where we expect big things to happen. I need a verse here. I need a chapter. I need a verse. I need a book name. Where is this in Scripture where God expects us to pray big prayers 
and to expect big things to happen. I mean, are we talking winning the lottery here? What are we talking about? Many of us don't because it makes us uncomfortable. We don't necessarily know how to do it. We we feel uncomfortable communicating. We feel uncomfortable. We feel like we're being selfish asking for certain things. And, And I think God looks down at our prayers sometimes and laughs at the smallness of our vision and the smallness of what's going on in our lives. Okay, uh, uh, Gary, um, pastor, I'm sorry, Pastor Gary, um, can you give me a passage of Scripture where it says that God is up in heaven laughing at the smallness of the vision of, your, of our prayers? Can you give me one example from Scripture where it says that? Where God's up there going, <laughs> well, that was a pretty small vision prayer. So far, you're preaching your opinions, and um, I pastors aren't supposed to do that. They're supposed to open up the word and tell us what the word means. But he'll get to it. Because he can see those things through our prayer life. If you have your Bibles today, you can turn them over to Joshua chapter 10. Okay, we are now 8 minutes, 55 seconds into <clears throat> this sermon. And finally, we get to the passage that he's going to be preaching on. It's Joshua chapter 10. Um, if not, it'll be up on the screen here in a minute. But let me give you a little bit of back history here where we're at in the story. We're hearing this story, and Israel has moved in to what's called the promised land. For those of you who don't know, Israel was in slavery to Egypt. A guy named Moses took the children of Israel, he took them out of Egypt, and he was to take them to a place that God simply called the promised land. And um, they left, it was about a 40-day journey to the promised land. When they got out there, they got disobedient to God. And it took them not 40 days, but it took them 40 years to get to the promised land. Right before they enter into the promised land, Moses, remember Moses was the guy who took them out of Egypt, out of slavery. Moses dies, and a new commander, a new leader is put into place, Joshua. And Joshua leads the children of Israel to victory. He leads them into the promised land. And this is the place that that God has promised. And the first place they conquer in their quest to get the promised land is a place called Jericho. And they had such an astonishing victory at Jericho that all the countries around begin to hear that God was with the children of Israel. And they begin to fear this nation. They begin to fear these people that once were slaves because they knew God's hand was upon them. And so they conquered Jericho and the word spreading. And, and after this, they literally couldn't be stopped. Okay, so far so good. That's a pretty good uh, synopsis of the story of the enslavement of Israel and, and the Exodus. And they're coming into the promised land. So we pick up in Joshua chapter 10, uh, the story, you know, he, he's given us a good synopsis and pointed out the fact that, you know, God is with them. So far, so good. As they took over country after country after country and claiming the land that God had promised to them. And and after settling in, they're settling in Jericho and they're getting comfortable. Joshua decides to go to war with a group called the Amorites. They're right next door. And he decides he's going to go to war with these people. And I don't have time to get into it. Let me tell you, though, it'll make a great sermon in and of itself. You would see that, that Joshua acting upon this was acting because of something he did disobedient in the past. And I want to teach a message one day on that, talking about how God can make, take our mistakes and make it right. But here's the deal. They go into battle, and they begin to conquer, and they begin to settle in. They begin to defeat the Amorites. And here's what's happening. They're winning the victory, and it starts to get dark. And Joshua knows that if the sun goes down while they're battling... He knows the Amorites, because they know the land, will have the upper hand. He knows if the sun goes down while they're fighting and nightfall sets in, that the Amorites will be able to have the victory because they can either know the land and attack or they can flee and they know where to hide and where to go to. And Joshua and the children of Israel will not be able to know them because they don't know the layout of the land. So as they're defeating it and they begin to run, the Amorites are running and they're running for their lives and they're fearful. Joshua knew night was coming. So Joshua does an amazing thing. He begins to pray. And he doesn't begin to pray some type of prayer like you and I would pray. He doesn't begin to throw up some half-hearted request to God, some generic little thing to God. And he doesn't do it privately where no one can hear it. That way, if it doesn't happen, he doesn't feel like a fool. The Bible says he gathers men around him, and he begins to pray a prayer. And what he prays is an amazing prayer. Matter of fact, the Bible says nothing has ever been done 
since then, like what happened this day, look what the Bible says in Joshua chapter 10, verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord, in the presence of Israel, now picture this with me, Joshua has all of Israel in front of him. He's not going off and praying some quiet prayer. That's what we do. We go off and pray some quiet prayer, and that way if God doesn't see fit to answer it, we don't look stupid. In front of all these people. What? So here's the deal. Um, practical application here, let's kind of fast forwarding to the application part. If you're not praying these types of prayers and doing it in front of people so they can hear it, then you're doing something wrong because this is a model apparently that we're supposed to be following. You know, he, you see, that's that's uh, an incorrect way of reading the scripture, but that's really what's going on here is that the reason why this story is in the Bible is so that you can learn how to do this yourself. And if you're not doing it, then you're doing something wrong. People, Joshua prays, and look what he says. This is his prayer. Oh, sun, stand still. Oh, moon, over the valley, stand still. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. To the nation avenge itself on its enemies, as is written. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There's never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Wow. What a prayer. No, that's, that's the wrong emphasis. Wow, what a God. What a God who would do such a thing. What a God who in his faithfulness to those whom he has chosen would literally wreak havoc with the laws that govern the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the earth. What a God that we have. And where's he putting the emphasis? He's putting it on the wrong syllable, by the way. He's putting it on the prayer rather than on God. Yeah, and by the way, is there a passage of Scripture that tells us that we're supposed to pray these types of prayers? And that if we're not, that we're doing something wrong? Let's continue. Revolution Church, I want to tell you something today. That's the type of prayers God wants His children to pray. Think about it. Where does it say that in the Scriptures? Where does it say that God wants us to pray these types of prayers? Whose authority are you basing this claim, Gary Lamb, pastor of Revolution Church? Joshua literally stood up in front of all the people. And he didn't pray that God would just give them victory. He prayed. What, what a crazy, crazy, crazy prayer. He said, Lord, cause the sun to stand still. He said, Lord, cause the moon to stand still. He said, Lord, right where the sun is today, I need you to stop it. And right where the moon is, where it's dark, I need you to stop it. He said, Lord, I cannot allow the sun to go down or we'll lose this victory. And I need you to make the sun stand still. That's a big prayer. That's an audacious prayer. That's the kind of prayer that someone says when they have a lot of faith in God and they're just crazy enough to believe that God's going to answer that prayer. And here's the thing. He prays his prayer for all these people. And God listens. And the sun stands still. Here, God. Here, God. Come here. Here, boy. Come here, God. Can you make the sun stand still, please, God? Hey, God. Come on. Sit, sit, sit. Good duck. Good God. Good God. Can you imagine that type of prayer? Can you imagine praying that? Let me ask you this. When was the last time... You prayed a prayer like that. That's not the way God told me to pray, Pastor Gary Lamb. You know, it's, it's time for a little catechesis here. Yes, catechesis, big theological word, basically meaning learning the basics of the Christian faith. Catechism. The best, some of the best baseball teams are the ones whose coaches tell their players to hit singles. Instead of always swinging for the fences. Time for some basics. <clears throat> Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, 
And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. All right, here's what I'm going to say. Gary Lamb, I'm going to basically challenge you by saying this. If there's anybody who's ever lived, is still living, or understood what prayer is and how we should be praying and what we should be praying and the content of what we should be praying, that person was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was and is none other than the one true God in human flesh. Right? So there is no better authority for telling us the content of what we should be praying how we should be praying, and what God expects us to be praying. Gary Lamb, you are not a better authority than Jesus Christ. So here it says in Luke, teach us to pray. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. Right? You ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? I don't see anything in here. Let's see. And Jesus said to them, go to Joshua chapter 10, and I expect you to pray audacious prayers and things to make the sun stand still. That sun stand still prayer should be the steady prescriptive thing to expect from Christians when they pray. From Luther's small catechism, talking about the basics. What is prayer? What is the Lord's prayer? He breaks it down. Our Father who art in heaven, what does this mean? Answer, here God would encourage us to believe that he is truly our Father and that we are truly his children in order that we may approach him boldly and confidently in prayer, even as beloved children approach their dear father. Hallowed be thy name. What does this mean? Answer, to be sure, God's name is holy in itself. But we pray in this petition that it may also be holy for us. Well, how was this done? Answer, when, when the word of God is taught clearly and purely, and we as children of God lead, lead holy lives in accordance with it. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. But whoever teaches and lives otherwise than as the word of God teaches, that person profanes the name of God among us. From this, Lord, preserve us, Heavenly Father. Second petition. Thy kingdom come. Well, what does this mean? To be sure, the kingdom of God comes of itself without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may also come to us. Well, how is this done? How does the kingdom of God come to us? Answer, when the heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit so that by his grace we may believe in his holy word and live a godly life both here and in, in time and in, thereafter forever. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what does this mean? To be sure, the good and uh, to be sure the good and gracious will of God is done without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may also be done by us. How is this done? Well, when God curbs and destroys every evil counsel and purpose of the devil, of the world and of our flesh, which would hinder us from hallowing his name and prevent the coming of his kingdom, and when he strengthens us and keeps us steadfast in his word and in faith even to the end, this is his good and gracious will. Give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? Well, to be sure, God provides daily bread even to the wicked without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that God may make us aware of his gifts and enable us to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. What is meant by daily bread? Answer, well, everything that was required to satisfy our bodily needs, such as food and clothing, house and home, fields and flocks, money and property, a pious spouse and good children, trustworthy servants, godly and faithful rulers, good government, seasonable weather, peace and health, order and honor, true friends, friends faithful neighbors and the like. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. 
Well, what does this mean? We pray in this petition that our Heavenly Father may not look upon our sins and on their account deny our prayers, for we neither merit nor deserve those things for which we pray, although we sin daily and deserve nothing but punishment. We nevertheless pray that God may grant us all things by his grace. And assuredly, we on our part will heartily forgive and cheerfully do good to those who may sin against us. And lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God tempts no one to sin, but we pray in this petition that God may also guard and preserve us, that the devil and the world and our flesh may not deceive us or mislead us into unbelief into despair, and to other great and shameful sins, but that although we may be so tempted, we may finally prevail and gain the victory. That's how Jesus wants us to pray. How do I know this? Because when the apostles, the disciples, came to Jesus and asked them to teach teach us to pray, this is how he taught them to pray. He didn't teach them sun-stand-still prayers. It's ridiculous. Let's continue. Well, when was the last time you prayed something so big and so audacious and so crazy that God had to answer it? Huh? See, the bigger and more audacious you pray, God has to answer it. God had to do it because he just was going to reward the fact that you had the faith to ask it. Where does it say that in Scripture? Chances are very good, if we were to be honest, and I always say it's hard to find someone to be honest in the church. I'm being honest with you now, Pastor Lamb. What you're preaching and teaching is complete garbage. It's not what the scriptures teach. But if we were to be honest, chances are very, very good that most of us would say we've never prayed a prayer like that. Yeah, because the Bible doesn't teach us to. Because it makes us uncomfortable. No, because it doesn't teach us to. We get uncomfortable when we start thinking about big prayers like that. We think God won't answer them. We think we'll be stupid to ask them. We think others will laugh at us. We think that we'll look foolish if it doesn't happen. We think that if we were to pray a prayer like Yeah, see, you're, 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 you just, you're just, you don't trust God enough if you don't pray these kind of prayers. Like that, especially in front of other people, that if it was so big and so crazy that others would mock us and think there was something wrong with us. I was talking to a pastor this week. I don't know why I get myself in these situations. And he he just wanted to meet for a second. Here's what I've got to learn. When a pastor in the area calls me and wants to meet because he has some concerns, I just got to quit meeting with him. Because their concerns irritate me. And so we sit down and talk. He's concerned. Because our Holly Springs location might be semi-close to him within like four or five miles. And heaven forbid there's no lost people down there. And he's running 100% of all the people in the community. And um, he's getting a little territorial. Where, where, where are you going to put signs out? I said, in your front yard. I, you know, man, I, when I hear of new churches coming to this area, man, I celebrate the fact that new churches are coming. You know, but this guy was a little freaked out, and, and we began to talk, and, and we, the conversation got real cool, and we're talking, and it was go- hey, we're having a great time. And he said, well, tell me what God's doing in your life. And I don't know why. I, I just decided, man, I want to share with this guy some things I've been praying about. I said, man, God's doing some awesome things. I said, and God's fixing to do greater things. I said, let me tell you what I'm specifically praying about. And, and when I began to share the prayer with him, he laughed. He started laughing. We're at the table, and he's laughing. And not that kind of laugh like you guys do when I say we're going to do something. You're like, man, we are crazy, but yeah, that'll work. He, he was laughing, one of those laughs like, that'll never happen. Are you stupid to pray like that? And for about a split second, I started getting angry. And then I remembered, you know what? It's been a real long time since somebody laughed about something that we were going to do. It's been a real long time since someone thought that could never happen. And i got to be a little bit honest with you today. It got me real excited. It kind of got me a little pumped up to think about the fact that God's getting ready to do something so big here that only he can get the credit for. See, I've been praying some sun-stand-still prayers lately. And what I want you to do is get out of your comfort zone in your prayer life 
and start believing that we serve a God that's the same God of Joshua, and he wants to answer your son's standstill prayer just like he does those. I, I want to be a church that prays such crazy prayers that people can't do anything but laugh at it. I, I love when people laugh. Lord, teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's audacious. That's the kind of audaciousness that Jesus wants us to pray. Your kingdom come, Lord. That's audacious. Your will be done, Lord. That's audacious. On earth as it is in heaven. That's audacious. That's the type of sun stand still prayers that Christ has called us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. That's audacious. That's what Christ wants us to pray. Forgive us our sins. Whoever heard of God forgiving sins? That's the type of audacious prayer that Christ wants us to pray. How about this one? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's crazy talk. <sighs> no idea what this guy's talking about. <clears throat> Sorry, I got myself worked up. Do I hear an amen somewhere? Oh, amen. amen, yeah, yeah, all right. Anyway, I think that's enough of Pastor Gary Lamb and his son stand still prayers. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Thanks for tuning in, staying with us. If you would like to email me your son stand still prayers, you can do that at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Until next time, may God bless you.